Blog Talk Radio. pediatric speech-language pathologist, and welcome to finally the return of Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. I am so excited to be back, and thank you to all of you who emailed or left me a message or on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you found me to say, where the heck are you? Why aren't we getting new podcasts? I hope nothing's wrong. Well, nothing was terribly wrong. But I probably was sicker this fall than I have been in years and years and years. Started out with a sinus infection, then it kind of morphed to strep throat, and I had bilateral uh, ear infections, which is no fun and gave me, again, increase in renewed sympathy for our little friends who struggle with uh, those terrible ear infections because that fluid, I just I felt terrible. And then that all kind of turned into bronchitis, which necessitated gosh, three or four visits to the doctor, and I probably don't go to the doctor one or two times in a whole year. So to go that many times between September and the beginning of November was just uh, terrible. And so I'm excited to be well and back, and we are just going to pick up today where we left off way back in September with uh, the topic that I started then. I called it a reset for fall, so I'm glad I got to jump in here this last couple of weeks of fall so that we could finish this great topic. But before we do that, let me make a couple of announcements. If you have not been to teachmetotalk.com in the last couple of weeks, please go, like right now, type it in on your phone or your laptop or however you get on the Internet because I have decided to add new content and bring all of our folks who regularly communicate with TeachMeToTalk.com back home where we belong, right there on my website, not at Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and I'll still have pages there and still occasionally post. But what I'm really doing is just providing a link to the new content I'm writing every single day back on my website. So I hope that you will join me there. Let me tell you what I posted last week, just in case you've missed it. The first day, last Monday, I teased an upcoming new project that we're working on. It'll launch, I hope, in December, possibly the last week of November. I'm not going to talk about it, though, until it's out, because that's kind of my little omen. So uh, I'll just wait and talk more about it then. But I have a really new, exciting um, information or way to share information. So that's upcoming. Last week, I also typed my little fingers to the bone coming up with brand new fall therapy ideas. They're not brand new ideas, actually. They're ideas I've used for a long time, but I've never written about them. I may have mentioned them in a past podcast, but I've never done a therapy tip of the week about them. And certainly... Um, I love providing information like this because several folks have said, you know, I really missed regular podcasts and I really missed regular therapy tips of the week. So I got really busy last week and wrote three different posts with darling ideas for you to use to finish out this home stretch for fall. So wrote one about squirrels, wrote one, uh, and again, this is what toys you could use, little songs you could sing, perhaps the circle time if you're seeing children as a group. And again, it may be that you're seeing children not necessarily in a preschool setting, but you're working with 
a, a toddler at home and you're seeing them with their siblings or maybe a daycare. You certainly can also use those little songs and routines even with moms and individual toddlers. So there's one about squirrels. There's one about pumpkins that I did today. And the one I did yesterday is so cute for Thanksgiving. It's about turkeys. And, again, they're always little songs and then follow-up ideas that you can take the theme, like squirrels, turkeys, and pumpkins, and then expand it with two or three activities. Now, when you do that, you are increasing the possibility that a child will learn and remember the new vocabulary that you're teaching. So check out those three new posts. They're all right there, easy to find, right on teachmetotalk.com's homepage. So check that out. A meteor post that I wrote last week was based on a new study that uh, just has been released from Dr. Amy Weatherby. And, <coughs> excuse me. Um, and it's, it's about how much of a difference parents make in speech therapy with toddlers with autism. So she is an awesome resource. She does first words, and she's at Florida State, I believe. I hope I'm giving her institution the proper credit. But check that article out, too. You'll uh, get a link back to the a summary of the study and then back to the original study as well. So if you do early intervention and if you are committed to parent training and you um, maybe have to convince someone of how important parent training is, whether that be an administrator, although that's hardly the case, but if you're having to talk with a parent about what an important part they play in this whole therapy process, I'm giving you some new ammunition with uh, the results of that study. And again, I like Dr. Weatherby so much. I've heard her talk at ASHA. I've read her stuff for a long time. And some of her wording and some of the when, – when she was interviewed, they're things I say every day. So, again, it is so nice to find a study that backs up exactly what we do and what our philosophies are. So please check that out if you've not read that yet. Last week I did release a new Therapy Tip of the Week video. I started a series for – Children who are really, really visual. Do you know what I mean by that? Kids who like to watch um, objects spin or who are really attracted to letters and numbers and shapes and colors rather than other kinds of play. Kids who love to watch the DVD. You have to have the DVD player on, just kind of constant, you know, re rebooting that movie because they really, really like to watch things. And sometimes those kids have a really hard time learning how to play. So in that therapy tip of the week, I started that series. I believe it's three parts. We videoed that a while ago. Uh, but take a look at that, and uh, you're going to get some great tips. And you'll see my go-to toys for uh, those kinds of kids. Now, don't freak out if you can't find those toys, because all three of those, I believe, were toys that I've had for a while. Here's the information that's your, your takeaway nugget. <laughs> you can use practically any toy with a visual component to do the same kinds of things we're talking about in, in that therapy tip of the week. You really have to use that, that visual input as your hook to engage a toddler's attention. And so I'll explain all that in the video. I think it's 12 or 13 minutes. So if you've not looked at that, pop on teachmetotalk.com so you can see that latest one. Okay, last announcement. 
this week I finish up uh, my conference season for 2014. Boy, we started earlier this year with uh, kind of a My Texas Tour. And then, uh, gosh, where all have I been? I'm going to Chicago this week for the third time. I was there in July, back in August, and now we're finishing up um, Chicago this week. And we still have some seats left, which really is pretty rare. Uh, Most of my events, thankfully, are sold out. And we can't offer seats the week of the event, but if you are in Chicago or if you can get to Chicago, get there. Because Thursday, I'll be doing early speech language development, taking theory to the floor. And then Friday, steps to building verbal imitation in toddlers. I am rolling out some new courses this winter. So it's possible that I may not teach those courses again live. So again, if you've wanted to get there, if you've Wanted to see that live. Please, please, please get yourself to Chicago and we uh, join me there for that live course. Now, if you can't get there but you still want to take advantage of that information, both of those courses are available on DVD. And if you're a speech pathologist, they have ASHA, the American Speech and Hearing Association, um, continuing education credit as well. So you can get your ashes that you use even if you get the DVD and watch it in the privacy of your own home or what lots of groups are doing, either groups of friends or groups at an agency or a school. Uh, the program is buying the DVD and, and then everyone watches it together. Or even, I guess you could do it separately. But you'll you'll pay an additional fee and then each additional participant gets their own course manual and form so that you can get your CEU credit too. So you can check out all of that information at teachmetotalk.com and it's a great way to squeeze in those last few CEUs of the year, licensure uh, renewal, certification period, or credentialing a lot of a lot of programs that all comes due at the end of the year. And so sometimes uh, by the end of November, you're kind of scrambling to figure out what you can do that's local. You don't really have to do that anymore. And I think it's always <laughs> great when you can find continuing education events that are, are related to what you do every day. I hate it when you have to go to an event or a course that's really designed for older children and we're supposed to just water it down and make it applicable and relevant for toddlers. You don't have to do that with my courses because it's all about toddlers and young preschoolers. So check those out if you've never done that before. Okay, let's finish up this series, I hope, today (laughs) with what we started way back in September, what works to help toddlers learn how to talk. Now, I started um, this topic based on the the overwhelmingly popular question that I get no matter where I am, no matter what format I'm using to communicate with people, it might be with email, it might be on a social media site, it might be live in person, it might be as I'm seeing an individual child with a family or I'm giving a talk to a group. Somebody always says, okay, all of that stuff is great, I love your website, I love reading your tips, but can you boil it down for me? Can you tell me what really, really works, if I were just going to do a couple of things, change a couple of things, what would it be? Well, I wrote an article about this way back when the website launched in 2008 called What Works? Strategies That Help Toddlers Learn to Talk. Now, I couldn't reduce it really to just a couple. There are about 10, but I promise if you follow these strategies, these recommendations, you will be on the right track. Whether you're a mom or a dad, we have some dads that listen to the show, and I just love hearing from dads. 
um, or a therapist. And again, you might be a speech language pathologist like me or provide early intervention services with whatever they call you. You teach your people in your state. You might be called a developmental therapist or early intervention specialist or whatever. And again, it doesn't really matter what your discipline is or if you're a professional or not. If you will implement these strategies, promise, I promise, I promise, you will be on the right track to helping toddlers learn how to interact, learn how to understand language, and then finally begin to use language to talk and to communicate. So in the first show, way back in September, we did the first four. And I'm not going to repeat that whole show, but let me just read these to kind of refresh your memory since we haven't had a new show in a while. And let me just interject this. I was looking at the stats today for the podcast, really kind of expecting, since I had not done a live show in months, (laughs) for those numbers to be not so good that people maybe had forgotten about us. Let me just say thank you to those of you who are still listening to episode after episode after episode all the way back to 2008. We're still getting like eight to 10,000 listens a week. That is incredible. And it certainly made my heart sing when I looked at that today. So those of you who are digging in the archives and listening to past shows, thank you, thank you, thank you. I really appreciate that. Okay, back to our topic. The first strategy that I recommend, and I say it all the time when I teach my live courses, is play, 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 play. And when you're tired of all that, play some more. (laughs) That's how toddlers learn everything. We have to base our interventions on helping children learn how to engage with us. And again, that happens during social routine or daily routines. That's what I meant to say. Like bath time and bedtime and meals and, you know, playing outside together and all the things that we do. And that's important, yes. But we cannot forget about how important it is to sit down and play. Please go back and listen to that first show because I've talked a lot about that. And I will link the show so that you don't have to dig through and find it. But go back and listen to that so that you can hear that discussion of play. The second tip was exude warmth and joy when you interact with your child. And again, all children need to feel like they're important. All children need to feel like you are making an effort to engage with them and to pay attention to them and, more importantly, that you like them and that you are enjoying your time with them. So, again, I talked about that on that first show. Go back and listen to it, but I wanted to remind you that that is really, really important. You have to look like you're having a good time. I hope that it's not fake. (laughs) I hope that you really are enjoying interactions with your little friends if you're a therapist or your own child. And again, sometimes that's hard to do. We can't all be on 100% of the time, but it is really, really important that we remind ourselves to look like and act like how we feel about our kids. And that's that we love them and adore them and they are important little people. So we have to be sure that we are remembering to um, externally let them know that as well. The third recommendation was one I spent a lot of time talking about, and it's addressing how we talk to children. And the theory here is that we will talk at or just above a child's expressive language level most of the time during our interactions. And I'm not going to repeat all of those little tips that I gave you about that or how we've come to know that that works for children, but it's really, really important. So if you are 
routinely in the habit of talking in paragraphs to a young child who's not talking very much at all. You are providing a language-rich environment, but you may be limiting how successful you are and certainly how successful that child will be in learning how to imitate single words. So go back and listen to that for some really specific ways that we can make sure that we are using the appropriate language level with a child who's struggling to learn how to talk. The fourth one was uh, about repetition, meaning that we have to give a child enough practice with the new words that he's saying, and we also have to give him enough practice hearing the new words that we want him to eventually say on his own. So there's a nice discussion about that. Go back and listen. Okay, let's pick up where we left off. This is tip number five. And it says imitation really is the sincerest form of flattery and it's the most and it's the only way most of us learn anything. What I'm trying to say there is highlight how important learning how to imitate is in helping a child learn how to talk. Now I wrote this article back in 2008, and since to, since then, I've written a whole book about this <laughs> called Building Verbal Imitation Skills in Toddlers. And again, I can't really sum up every single point about that but the, the here in the context of this show, but let me just talk about how children learn how to imitate words. It really starts with learning how to imitate actions and that would be actions during daily routines like if you are giving a child a bath and as a mom you may do something fun with a toy say pat his boat or his duck and again it doesn't even have to make sense it's just your the premise here is you are modeling you are showing him an action and you want him to learn to copy you until a child is copying and imitating your actions, there is no way he's developmentally ready to talk. So we have to start way back with imitation at that most basic level. And again, if this is new information for you, get my book, Building Verbal Imitation Skills in Toddlers, because it outlines the whole process. We begin with imitating actions and objects, and then we move to imitating body movements. And as the child gets better with those kinds of things, we move that to simple sign language. Then we move on up with learning how to imitate nonverbal actions with your face and your mouth, which is a little bit controversial in the field of speech pathology. But if we're really thinking about teaching our child that he has a mouth and that it's under his control and that everything <laughs> that he can do with his lips and his tongue and all of those little parts of your mouth that a child would use to learn how to produce a word, when we help a child learn that they can purposefully on their own move their mouths, that's sometimes a really important step in teaching a child how to talk. Now, a lot of kids that are late talkers will not need that, but some children really, really do. So that would be our next step. Then we're going to move to those easier earlier vocalizations like play sounds and exclamatory words and then we would move to verbal routines which we'll talk about in a minute and then finally we teach them how to imitate single words so can you can you just from that brief explanation see all the things that a child has to learn how to imitate before 
He would begin to imitate single words. It's a pretty um, lengthy process. Now, kids with typically developing language, all of those things are emerging at the same time. But kids who are having difficulty learning how to talk that have an atypical um, progression with communication skills, they will stay at those little steps, levels, whatever you want to call it, those little levels, excuse me, for longer periods of time. Sometimes our kids even get stuck in one of those levels or another. So we have to, again, make sure that we're doing everything we can to move them through that process and that we're not jumping ahead of where they are developmentally. If a child cannot imitate some some body actions like clapping or like um, dancing or like banging on a, a table or a tray, it's very unlikely that he'll be able to do sign language. And sign language is not necessary for every late-talking toddler. Some of those toddlers are really able and ready, developmentally ready, to vocalize and verbalize. And so with, with those kinds of kids, we would move on. We would jump straight, not to words, but to those early, easy vocalizations like sound effects when you play or like um, those little those little words that we all use like uh-oh and wow and whee and even things like animal sounds. Those would be easier, earlier vocalizations that, that a child who's not saying many words may really be able to imitate because they are simpler and they certainly are a lot more fun. So if you've not thought about helping a child learn how to imitate you or copy you, that's where you need to begin. And again, it doesn't start with single words. It starts way back with action. So if you need some help with that, be sure to check out my link, uh, Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers, because imitation is huge. You absolutely have to teach it. And even if you're a speech pathologist, you may have known that but have forgotten what a critical role imitation plays in learning how to talk. So let me just encourage you to revisit that and to begin there. You don't start a speech therapy session with a child really at the single word level unless he has quite a few other verbal routines and um, exclamatory words and play sounds. You would not, you would never do that at the single word level because frankly the child isn't ready. So get yourselves a copy of that book so you can walk through that step by step by step so that you can remind yourself of that theory. Okay, the sixth works to help toddlers learn how to talk is to use a sing-song voice when modeling words for your child to imitate. Now, as you can clearly hear, I am from the Deep South. I was born and raised in Mississippi. So even though I've lived in Kentucky, which our part of Kentucky is, Kentucky is a southern state, but around Louisville, it's really more Midwestern. But I still, as you can hear, have my southern accent. And so those of us who are southern typically do speak with emphasis on our vowels and have that sing-songy kind of cadence or prosody, as a speech pathologist would say, that rhythmical quality. And that's, again, that's just part of who I am. That's, that's, I, 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 for a long time, we get really sensitive about how I talk and, and try to sound a little more 
Midwestern, but that didn't really work for me. <laughs> but that's okay because I work with babies and toddlers, and that sing-song voice is an important part of helping many, 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 many toddlers learn how to imitate. Here's why. We know from the research about motherese or parent ease, if you want to be really non-gender biased, tells us that young children or babies, in particular infants, really alert or perk up to a rhythmical, melodic sounding voice. If we think about where many of our toddlers are, uh, what developmental period they're still in when we begin therapy with them or when we first begin to be concerned about their development of speech-language skills, they're still in that that developmental period where parent ease or mother ease talking in that sing-songy voice will be very beneficial for them because, again, it helps them alert to language. It helps them pick out words from all the background noise going on in their environment. So really think about using that kind of voice, especially when we first begin therapy. Now, I am not talking about the kind of baby talk here where you are making up nonsense words and and doing that. I'm talking about using the kind of voice that you might think about with um, younger babies, like, you know, hi, I see you. And again, it may not be quite that dramatic, but when you're modeling a word like cookie and you want a child to really be able to directly imitate you and you're trying your best to encourage him to repeat that word time or or when it's not a word that he uses all the time, to be able to say cookie will increase the likelihood that many toddlers would try to repeat you versus just saying cookie or using a more adult-like tone to model that word. So, again, don't feel like you have to speak that way all of the time, but when you are super focused on helping a child learn how to say a new word, break out your sing-song voice because... It is supported by research that it helps the child, a, a really young child, alert to your voice. It adds novelty, meaning that they don't hear people talk that way all the time. So it increases the likelihood that they will think it's cool and will pay attention to you. Um, and, it, it's, again, it's a strategy that's just second nature to me. It's second nature to lots of people. You'll hear a lot of moms really talk like that. Now, let me just address something. In our, I would, I would say like in the last five or ten years, I've started to really see a lot of moms who are completely flat with their affect, meaning that they don't have a lot of emotion as they speak. Or it could just be that they're trying to be, gosh, maybe more grown up or professional. I I don't know. There could probably be as many reasons for that as there are women who would use that tone of voice. And, And it's, again, I'm not knocking it. It's completely natural for them. But I've really seen an increase in the number. And it's not just moms, it's dads too, in folks who are pretty monotone 
when they're talking. And that really is fine when you're talking to adults and teenagers. Oh, certainly with teenagers because they, they do it too. But when we're speaking to young children, particularly young children who are struggling to learn how to talk, our, our little guys who are nonverbal or minimally verbal, we really do need to change how we talk so that they are more likely to listen to us and, again, more importantly, try to imitate what we say. So think about that. If you are someone who struggles with that, you may have to practice a little bit. Sometimes speech pathologists, uh, when they've worked with older children, will discourage um, younger therapists or if they're mentoring someone, they'll say, you know, don't use that 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 kind of sing song voice all the time because you don't want your children to talk that way. I just never really have found that to be a problem. Now, I know that that doesn't completely eradicate the possibility that you might have a child that sounds a little sing-songy for a while. And it certainly can happen with uh, children with autism who are more likely to imitate everything in context that uh, you'll hear sometimes a child with autism spectrum disorder who is echolalic, meaning that he can quote long strings or long sentences and paragraphs from, say, a show he likes or an app or whatever. Now, a lot of times those kinds of children will sound or character that they heard produce the original sentence. And so I do understand that concern, but it would not be enough of a concern for me to completely dismiss talking uh, in this kind of way. And let me just say what some moms have said to me when I've tried to talk with them about this. When you have a two-year-old or a three-year-old or a four-year-old who's still not talking, those moms would say, I don't care how he sounds when he finally talks. I just want him to talk. So don't worry too much about that. And if you've gotten some advice from, say, a professor or, um, you know, an older, not an older, but a, a therapist who, again, has not worked primarily with toddlers, just know that they are probably basing that advice on on their experience with older children, not our babies, not our toddlers that we are working with. So I'm going to encourage you to think about it from uh, that perspective. Okay, the seventh tip that we had in this original article with what works to help toddlers learn how to talk is to balance the lead during interactions with the child that you're working with. Now, lots of experts have suggested that we follow a child's lead, and that is fine. And by following a child's lead, I mean not that you would literally chase him around the room or follow him around the room and do exactly as he's done, because sometimes I've seen therapists do that, and it's ridiculous when the child is not paying any attention to you at all, and you persist in that, you know, you have to get kids to know that you are copying them before that whole technique of reciprocal imitation can be useful. So following a child's lead has gotten so misconstrued in um, the day-to-day practice of lots of early interventionists. What following a child's lead really means is doing what he likes to do. And instead of always getting a child to come away from what he's already interested in to do something new with you, that's really the original advice. Meaning, if he is looking out the window at a garbage truck, you would be better to go over and join him 
looking out the window and talking about the garbage truck than saying, come on, come on over here, let's do this, I have Play-Doh, or let me read you a book, come on, come on, let's do this. So instead of distracting a child or getting him to leave something that really, really interests him, you would follow his lead and do what he was already doing. So you would join him in that interaction. What's happened is some folks have completely taken that advice and not thought about that doesn't mean that the adult would never take control or introduce a new activity or start a play routine. And so the problem with either one of those would be if you were using either one exclusively so that it would become an extreme, meaning that you only did what the child initiated or meaning that you only wanted the child to do what you had initiated. So the the best approach, like most things, is to kind of meet in the middle so that you'll balance the lead there and really um, let a child, you know, do what a child already likes to do. But there, it, there's so much good that comes from helping, uh, particularly an older toddler, learn how to follow a routine, especially uh, as they get ready to participate in a preschool program. And certainly by the time they're in kindergarten, we want a child to know how to understand directions and how to be um, participatory in adult-directed activities. Hey, that's what preschool and kindergarten are all about, at least part of the time anyway, and good ones with learning, you know, we're all going to line up now or we're all going to sit at the table now and have our snack or we're all going to sit in a circle here on the floor and read a book, those kinds of things. So even when we're having individual therapy sessions with children, we don't need to um, be so concerned about behavior that we are only allowing a child to do what we've first planned, but we don't need to go so far the other way either so that we are um, allowing a child to completely control taking the lead. And so read about that in the article. I've I've kind of uh, taken a little bit of a different turn than how I have it written here in the original article. But I want you to be sure that you are making making a point to share the lead with the child so that sometimes he picks what you're going to do, sometimes you pick what you're going to do, and that you are flexible in uh, that going either way there. So take a look at that. Hey, there's a good book about this, too. I didn't mention it in the original article, but let me just tell you about it. It's written by Dr. James McDonald. He's an older speech-language pathologist. He's from Ohio. But he has a great book called Play to Talk, and he talks a lot in that book about matching what a child is currently doing and, again, in balancing and sharing the lead. So great reading if you are a speech pathologist and you've never taken a look at that. Um, that might be something you want to get. Now, his website is called communicatingpartners.org. I haven't been there in a really long time, and when when I used to use that site a lot, it had tons of lists. And boy, do we speech-language pathologists like our list. So, again, it could have been updated I, I haven't I haven't checked it out in a while, but wanted to let you know about that resource too. Okay, tip number eight. 
let's keep this moving right along so we can finish this topic in today's show. If you are a long-time listener, you know sometimes that doesn't happen. So I am excited that we are moving along and on track here. The eighth recommendation for helping a toddler learn how to talk, and we're talking about things that are really, really successful, is withholding pieces of a toy, a snack, or anything else that a kid needs to complete a preferred task and then waiting to give that child an opportunity to request. Now, we're talking about talking today, (laughs) so it could be with a word, but don't forget about doing this even with children who sign. This technique, withholding, you hear it called a lot of things. It could be called environmental sabotage or communication temptations or, you know, again, it doesn't matter what you call it. How you do this is that you set up a situation so that a child has to talk or sign or use a picture or however he's communicating. He has to do it so that you teach him you have to do something to get something. Now, this technique can be overused if a child has never, ever, 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 ever said the word that you were trying to elicit. It is doubtful that he will do it for the very first time when you are withholding. So don't be mean. I talk a lot about that this in my DVD, Teach Me to Talk. And if you've gotten that DVD or if you get it, you can see lots of good examples of withholding. You're never going to push a kid to the point where they are mad or frustrated or certainly not crying. I mean, again, that just breaks my heart when people misuse this technique and, you know, say things like you have to say milk or you can't have a drink of what you want. You know, that's that's terrible. That's terrible, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking, though, about playfully and, and with you know, a teasing attitude, once you know that a child knows the word, once he's imitated the word a lot, you would use withholding to make his imitated words become more spontaneous. So this might mean something like if he likes bubbles, that you would leave the container of bubbles tightly closed and not open it, not begin to blow the bubbles until he's asked you for bubbles. It might mean that if he loves his favorite Thomas the train and he can say choo-choo or sign choo-choo and you want to make his request, make him request on his own or come up with that word on his own to ask you without you saying, tell me choo-choo or tell me train or Thomas or whatever word you use for that, maybe you would put that toy up high on a shelf so that he could see it but that he can't access it without you. It might be uh, for a kid who wants to eat a snack and who can say cracker, but he doesn't routinely ask for crackers, you might sit and eat crackers in front of him until he decides to ask you for one. Or one thing I do a lot is I'll feed his brothers and sisters the snack that he really, really wants and then kind of wait him out so that he has to ask, has to use his word communicatively, request, to get what he wants. So again, keep it fun, keep it light, and you figure out that it, or find that a kid is getting too upset. Of course you should and not use that anymore because we don't want to make our already frustrated little friends even more frustrated. And this, this came up at my um, conference that I did last week in St. Louis on Friday. Um, this therapist said, sometimes the kid just walks away. Uh, you know, I, what's that about? And I always 
think this, and I said it that day. When a kid is just walking away, he's usually not motivated enough to try to use his sign or his word or picture to get what he wants at that point. And that means that you either need to try a little bit harder to make it look more fun. So if you really want him to participate with you, say with Play-Doh, and he's really not into Play-Doh, you need to act like Play-Doh is the most fun thing you have ever done in your whole life to make him want to do it or ditch that activity altogether and go with something that he really, really, really likes. So picking motivating materials would be really, really important when you're trying to get a a child to uh, initially talk or sign. And again, you don't get to pick what that is. Children always determine their own motivators. (laughs) They get to decide what they like. And so if you're using something that you don't know if they're going to like, of course you could be more fun and act like it's just the best thing you've ever done. But at the end of the day, you should be using things that you know really are loved uh, by the child because that makes it more likely for him to participate. So sometimes it's food, sometimes it's a toy, sometimes it's something like I call these movement activities where it's a little game that you're playing where you're going to throw him or up in the air or tickle him or swing him in a blanket or something like that. You know, you can use anything like that. But my point here is the child has to like it. And so when you're picking something for withholding, And again, the purpose here would be to make child who's previously imitated a word be able to use that word on his own. You're going to kind of up the ante here and set it up in a way that's fun and playful, but that's still pretty darn clear that he has to talk to get what he wants. So if he loves a racetrack, you would set up the track and then put all your cars in a bag so that he can see those or hold them tightly in your hands and say, ooh, ooh, I have these, ooh. And if you think he still needs the word to be able to, you know, he can't come up with it on his own, he he can say car, but he's got to hear you say it first, that's okay after you've given him an opportunity or two to request it without hearing the word. You may go ahead and model, you know, ooh cars i know you want cars and then if he still doesn't do it you may have to say tell me car so you can have it say car or uh however you've become accustomed to eliciting a word but the important point here with withholding is you don't do it past the time that a child is mad i like to use the three to five time rule meaning that i'm just going to cue him three to five times and then what happens at the end of that fifth time if he still hasn't requested. You can give it to him anyway, which is what I like to do, because I want to keep the child with me, keep him him engaged, let him know I'm his friend, I'm on his side, I'm fun, I'm not ever going to be mean, or you can make it easier. So if he has some signs, you may, instead of requiring a word, ask him to sign for it, or use an easier word that he can always say. If he can always say mine, and instead of car or whatever word you're trying to get him to say, cue that or a word like more or please. Or, again, you could do the sign with it, anything. You would back it up to the point where he could be successful, still give you a response, still ask in some way, but, again, you're not going to be um, mean about that so that you discourage him from wanting to participate with you. So if withholding is new for you, I'd really encourage you to get Teach Me to Talk the DVD. 
so that you can look at that and see um, how that looks and how it should look with toddlers. And again, you're going to stop well before a child is too frustrated. Okay, technique number nine. I already talked about this a little bit with tip number eight, but it's use signs, gestures, or pictures to introduce them to the power of communication. So many kids aren't really developmentally ready to talk when they start speech therapy, yet we get right in there with those words and we're cueing those words and we're just expecting those words to come and then they don't. And again, I'm not saying that we would never start with words or at the single word level, but many children need a bridge. And so certainly sign language can do that for lots of toddlers who are frustrated and who, again, don't have, they haven't come together in all the different ways that children have all the things they have to master before they're really really ready to talk and you need something some way to teach them how to let their moms and dads and and brothers and sisters and other family members let how to how to let them know what they want and so a bridge like sign language or even simpler like gestures or a picture communication system or there's so many great um, AAC devices now, many children need those kinds of things as an initial step to teach them how to communicate. Or if they're so frustrated and, you know, they spend a lot of their day crying and whining and, and just really being miserable because they don't have a way to tell mom and dad what they want, please introduce some um, alternative augmentative communication. And, again, you don't have to go all high tech. You don't have to go get a big fancy device. Sometimes uh, therapists now are really leaning toward using AAC apps. I still like to start with gestures and signs because I think it's more natural and the motor, the benefits for motor planning for that are fantastic. And so many kids, until we get signs in place and gestures so that they're really using their little bodies uh, functionally, they don't really... I forgot to turn off my call waiting. I apologize for that beat that keeps happening. Until we um, get that that initial system going, they're still too frustrated. So we have to take that pressure off so that the child does know that there's a way to communicate. And so, again, I like signs for that because I think there's there, – I've seen so many good res- results with using sign language and certainly with picture systems as well. I've had a lot of kids um, – successfully use the picture exchange communication system as a way to get them going, to teach them how to communicate before they're really ready to learn how to talk. So take a look at that article. There are certainly some other things that I haven't mentioned here. Um, If you have a parent who's reluctant to do that, you know, we really don't find parents anymore who aren't on board with signing or Sometimes with pictures, yes, but signing has become so mainstream. There are so many products out there and programs out there to teach parents how to do it. And, again, I think if if they've had a child in any kind of child care or daycare program, they've probably seen teachers use some simple sign language, especially in the baby classroom or the toddler, you know, around the 12- to 18-month classroom or even just before that age. It's so accepted now. It's not like when I first started working in the 90s and that was brand new for parents. You know, I I have not had to have – well, I take that back. I did have to have a conversation about this in uh, September with a family I was working with, working with the – I'd worked previously with the mom, but I was in the family's home and got an opportunity to meet dad. 
and he was a little bit reluctant to sign. But once we talked about all the benefits of signing and how a child a lot of times has to learn how to use his hands to, um, and again, with a child who has global motor planning issues, signing really opens up those new little neural pathways so that it makes it easier for that child to begin to do more advanced things and and use his hands in a new way, plus begin to vocalize purposefully and, tr- and, and sort of get to the point where they're really developmentally ready to talk. So in um, pictures, certainly, there's nice, nice research about the picture exchange system and how effective that is, particularly with children with autism. system can be used with a child with any kind of developmental disorder or delay, and there's just some nice, nice research about the effectiveness of pets. So if you're a parent, don't freak out if your therapist wants to do some other things first and doesn't jump straight to talking or straight to speech. You'll get there, but there likely are some very good reasons that they think that you need that bridge. So if if you're in that situation right now and you've been reluctant to do signs or pictures, tell your therapist you want to reconsider that. If you're still feeling unsure about it, have them really talk you through it. You know, signs and pictures never prevent a child from talking. And I think that's usually a parent's main concern if they've been a little reluctant. They're scared that, you know, if I teach him how to sign, then there's no reason for him to talk. Let me tell you my best um, way to counteract that. I always say, well, before your child learned how to walk, were you afraid that teaching him how to crawl would prevent him from learning to walk? And most of the time, all of the time, parents say, no, of course not. (laughs) Crawling is something that comes first. And I say, exactly. That's what we want to do with signs or pictures or whatever system we're using. Your child needs that in-between step, and this will really introduce him to the power of communicating, reduce his frustration, you know, and I'll say, wouldn't it be nice for you to know what he wants? Don't you want to give him a way to do that? He's not ready to talk yet, but I believe he's ready to sign or ready to use a picture, and let's work on this together. And usually you can talk a parent through that and help them be a little more comfortable about that. And, again, if you're a parent that felt that way, I get it. You don't want to do anything that might limit your child's ability to talk. But let me just say, after 20-plus years' experience, Signing and pictures or using any kind of system won't do that. It will promote communication. It will facilitate your child talking. Now, there are some children who, because of the nature of their diagnosis, aren't going to be ready to talk for a long time, possibly ever. That's rare, but it is a possibility. And so if a therapist is talking with you about introducing a picture system or a sign system or something, again, as a long-term method, please, please get on board. Be supportive. Learn what you can and know that you still want your child to communicate even if it's not with his or her own voice. You know, signs can be a beautiful way to do that, certainly pictures. And, again, there's so many great devices out there now that if you're listening and that's a situation that you find yourself in with your child, I know it hurts. And I know that you um, have to have a level of um, mourning because, 
possibly with your child's diagnosis, you've already had that with other things. And talking just might be something that you thought would be uh, a realistic goal, and it still may be down down the pike. You know, we never give up on speech. There have been children who have talked at 6 and at 8 and at 12, and we certainly hang on to that hope. But don't let your two-year-old or three-year-old or four-year-old go without a way to communicate if you can. I mean, just don't do it. And it could be, again, that, well, you'll always need a therapist's help to pick which system would be most appropriate for your child, and it may be low-tech with pictures or signs or just a really simple app to get started. But please, please, please um, get something going. Get a way to communicate going for your child, and and don't delay with that. Make sure that you can um, get moving on that. All right. The tenth strategy in this What Works article was to establish verbal routines and repeat them at the same times every day. Now, this is a little like repetition that we talked about before and how important repetition is to help little brains learn. And the same, this this holds true. We want to be sure that we are providing um, the same kinds of language for a child to hear over and over and over again so that he remembers it, he recognizes it when you start, and hopefully he's able to be, going to be able to eventually fill in a word or two, especially at the end of the phrase. And there's a whole wonderful discussion about this in uh, my book, Building Verbal Imitation with Toddlers. Using verbal routines or what we would call automatic speech is a big step to helping toddlers uh, learn how to talk. And typically developing toddlers like this too, you know, uh, if you'll think back with maybe one of your older children or certainly as a therapist, you know how well this works. But sometimes let's just say that we, we've been singing a song and, you know, maybe it's row, row, row your boat. And so you're singing row, row, row your, and for some reason you've had to pause. You haven't finished boat. You haven't said the word boat. And then all of a sudden, your toddler yells out boat because they expect that word to be there. Or it might happen as you're reading a book, a book that you've read hundreds of times and your child fills in that word. So how do you get this going? Again, you use a book or a song or a routine or whatever you've done over and over and over. You set it up so that you're really pacing, you're really using your words at kind of that anticipatory Right, so that a child knows it's his or her turn to fill it in. And again, let's just use the example that I used in the post here. You know, so you might be looking at your child with big wide eyes, and you know, we kind of call that the tell me face. That's what Kim Rowe calls it from the littlestories.com. But you're leaning forward and you're singing, twinkle, twinkle, little. <gasps> And then you're waiting for them to fill in the word star. Or you certainly, again, could do it with a book so that you're reading and you wait so that they can complete the last word with little phrases like ready, set, go, or one, two, three. So just that pregnant pause right there makes it more likely that a child who's almost ready to talk 
we'll start to fill in some of those um, some of those really routine things that you say. So take a look at the article. Again, I'm going to link it here at um, the podcast post, however you're listening. If you're at teachmetotalk.com, if you're listening from iTunes or Blog Talk Radio, if there's a way for you to look at the post here and you want to see that article, I've provided that link. So be sure to check out all 10 of those tips and think about how you're doing with those. Kind of rate yourself. Give yourself a little a little report card there. Uh, you may have forgotten about some of these. You may have, if you're a therapist and you've worked for a while, you may think, gosh, I haven't done that in a long time. I haven't tried that lately. Let me see what I can do this. These are the 10 things, again, that are my go-to strategies. They're certainly what I'm helping parents learn how to do. If you're a therapist and you want to copy this, article to share with parents, I would love for you to do that. Therapists tell me that they do that all the time from teachmetotalk.com. Anything you ever want to print and give to a parent, as long as you're saying, hey, I got this from this website and you should take a look at it, it's it's a good place for information, uh, please feel free to do that with, with any of my stuff. All right, the products that I mentioned today and talked a lot about today were building verbal imitation in toddlers. I'll put the link on for that and teach me to talk to DVD. I want to be sure that you know how to get your hands on those excellent resources. If you're a therapist and, and need that guidance, and certainly if you are a mom, the whole reason I started teachmetotalk.com in 2008 was to provide great information for parents of toddlers who are having difficulty learning how to understand and use language. And so it is just my passion, and it's why I write and speak and do all of these things that I do. And I want to be sure that you have great information and that you know what you can do at home to help your own little baby, toddler, young preschooler, learn how to talk. All right. It was so good to be back with the show tonight. I hope we don't have any uninterrupted uh, or interrupted periods like this in the future. I'm hoping to get back on that weekly track for the podcast, but thank you, thank you, thank you for joining me tonight. I've had a blast. If you've enjoyed the show, I'd love to hear from you. Um, at teachmetotalk.com, you can leave a comment there in the bottom section. And again, it was an absolute pleasure to be back um, on the show. Thanks so much. Have a great week. Bye-bye.